Fans, welcome to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Monday, August 22nd, 2022. Fortuna Sittard have parted ways with George Ulti, so we'll see what uh, new manager brings to Colbasset's lone stint in the Eredivisie. Uh, Major Leeds soccer is taking over the Premier League, while poor Liverpool are in the relegation zone. And the Colorado Rapids had two stinkers last week. I'm joined now by the Rob McElhenney to my Ryan Reynolds. If only this podcast was as fun as owning Wrexham AFC. Rabbi, how was international duty? It was great, man. Man, I can't wait for that. Uh, TV show to come out. I'm super excited because we've been dying without um, uh, the Sunderland series, you know, and so any lower league football team that has its own um, uh, documentary series is great. Although the apparently NBC has dropped Premier League shorts on um, YouTube, which I find a really odd way of doing things, but they were advertising that there's a bunch of clips about like they did, they did a short. It's basically like thirty for thirty, but they basically did one on like the Invincibles and they did one on you know a couple other teams, and so it should be really good. And back to your point from the banter, like I from from the from the rundown, like man, did you watch that Leeds game, Matt? I did. It was absolutely. Oh my god! This was it. It was such good football. I had a great weekend of watching soccer, Mark, because I got to see there was the crazy uh, LA Galaxy Seattle Sounders game that ended up being a three-three draw on Friday night. Then obviously I woke up first thing in the morning, got to see Fulham get its first win in a London derby in the top flight in over a decade, Alexander Mitrovic scoring in the 90th minute uh, to beat Brentford 3-2 after Fulham was up 2-0 and then had it actually come back and be 2-2. I, of course, was at the Rockies game, as I tweeted earlier, rubbing elbows, so I missed all of the bad stuff that was Rapids-related and then proceeded to watch the dumpster fire that was Saturday between Chelsea crapping the bed, the sports washing derby between Man City and Newcastle being 3-3, and then all of the results on Sunday night were absolutely crazy as well in Major League Soccer, Mark. So I got all of the fun stuff and none of the having to watch the Rapids go down to 10 men and finding a way to lose on the last or draw on the last kick of the game to the lowly Houston Dynamo. Nice. Well, I got I got to um, I, I started the day. uh or I ended the day on uh, Saturday with going to a Riverhounds game, which was almost as bad, if you can imagine it, as the Rapids game. They played the worst team, arguably, in USL and drew. They blew a 2 nothing lead against Red Bull 2 and, uh, and drew 2 nothing. And the head coach in the postgame said... Um, in my four and a half years of being here, this is one of the worst games we've ever played. <laughs> and then Mikel Williams, former Colorado Rapid, came to talk. He scored a goal, 
Uh, he nearly scored two. It was his first goal since 2019, and we interviewed him about it. We basically said, so how is it to score a goal? Was, wasn't that great? And he was like, listen, I'd give back that goal in a second if I, if it could mean we could have won. And then he just complained bitterly about how they should have been better. So, And then Saturday, Sunday morning, I woke up and watched that insane Leeds-Chelsea game where America defeated England. And <laughs> I believe that means... That Scotland is the 51st state for the coming year. I am very, it was an amazing game. And all of the memes about how Tyler Adams um, and uh, Brendan Aronson were, were in the game to win three to nothing while Christian Pulisic was sitting on the bench was like, that was just a mind blower to cap the whole thing off. It was fantastic. I know, Mark. Maybe F- Fulham should try and get Pulisic on loan with all the injuries they have to the winger position because, unfortunately, um, Leeds United are giving a, a solid contest to who is America's team in the Premier League. I would still contest, you know, 2010 season, a year in which Fulham obviously made it to the Europa League final. There was one Premier League game that season, Mark, where I think it was, I think it was six Americans in the starting 11, and I think seven or eight Americans in the 18 overall. I still think that is better than what Leeds have at the moment. But if you're talking about Jesse Marsh stabilizing one of the biggest teams in English football and doing so with two de facto starters on the U.S. national team, uh, Leeds United States of America is certainly off and flying and doing so with a very, very heavy press. Um, Mark, you have some academy news that is fitting given that we have a Ask HTHL about it and given often what uh, what happened to the Rapidos, the Rap Kids, over the weekend. You've updated your spreadsheet. You've got news on potential homegrowns, academy products. This is not something, unfortunately, we have had the time nor delved into as much as we could have this year. What do you have to share for our listeners, Rabbi? Well, so about once a year, usually around the time that the Colorado Rapids fall apart, um, I sit down and go through all of the academy players. Um, the last two years, it's been harder because during the pandemic, first um, uh, NCAA soccer was basically canceled and a few teams played. Um, and so a lot of teams just didn't play and therefore a lot of players were, were not around. And then the next thing that happened, which is really interesting, and you'll hear about a bunch in as I run down players was um, the NCAA granted a blanket waiver to any player who was on a NCAA roster in, I think, every sport in 2020. They said since, since so many seasons were wiped out, everyone got an extra year of eligibility. And in soccer, um, that's crazy because a huge number of soccer players redshirt their freshman year and some redshirt their sophomore year too. So there is a not insignificant number of Colorado Rapids Academy kids who, in a normal lifespan, would have graduated two years ago, but um, are still hanging around. So um, let me, with that preface, I'm going to run down all these things. The other thing I'll say is this, um, it's really that things are a little bit, um, things are a little bit dire with the Academy, as you can tell, because Rapids 2 are not doing well, but... All is not lost, Matthew. All is not lost. There are some interesting players on the horizon, and more importantly for me anyways, there are some interesting updates to bring you of players that I used to rave about two and three years ago. So if you're a longtime listener, first-time caller type uh, person for this podcast, um, and you hear a name, um, there may be some blast from the past here. So our deep nerds, uh, we really appreciate all right, let me start. We're going all the way back to birth year 1999. 
We've got updates on uh, six players. Kainoa Likewise, who is a goalkeeper out of Air Force Academy that you might remember, he did not play for them in 2021, and his soccering career is over. He finished in 2020 or in 2019, 18 games played, 1.87 games assist, one clean sheet to end his soccer career. Likewise, no pun intended, Connor Gavigan, a nice young man who I once met. Um, by the way, for those of you who are wondering um, who is comparable in this year, um, Sam Vines is a birth year 99, as is Matt Hunley. So those are the big names out of this crew. Connor Gravigan uh, played for Creighton, then transferred to uh, FGCU and um, ended his career there in 2019. 10 games played, 900 minutes of 1.49 goals against. He also didn't play in 2021. Brooks Crawford is a forward with DU. Um, he made three appearances in 2021 and is uh, continuing on in his soccer career. Um, normally, he should have graduated, but he was granted that additional year. So he will be playing for DU uh, coming this fall, as far as I know. Reese DeSoto, maybe one of the most vaunted players that the Rapids had produced from that year. He was drafted by Stanford. He won a national title with them in his freshman year as a redshirt. Um, he played 10 appearances, had one goal in 2021, uh, and is on the roster for this coming soccer year and has eligibility into 2023. Bailey Heller, also uh, with Denver. He is a defender. Um, he played in uh, last played in 2019, and in 2021, uh, he did not play. His soccering career is over. I've run down a whole list of guys who you vaguely might remember, and now it sounds like things are bad because nobody has been productive. Here's the good news, kids. The 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 uh, birth year uh, 1999s have one star amongst them, and that is Liam Johnson, a defenseman out of Denver. I think he's a center back. Um, his expected graduation date is this year, 2022, um, or 2023, I believe. Sorry, let me uh, fix that. Um, he is the team captain. He played in every match last year, 1,825 minutes. And he is on um, TFC's, uh, sorry, not TFC, what is it called? Um, uh, Total Soccer, whatchamacallit, that website. Um, he is on the Mac Herman watch list, which means he is amongst the top 25 most exciting players. Um, since this is a really long list, I'll, I'll, I'll probably go through the next two birth years and then we'll pause and uh, we'll do part two maybe next week, Matt, because otherwise our listeners will be bored to tears. Birth year 2000. There weren't many players that year who were particularly interesting, but the one that you should take notice of is Milo Garvanian. Uh, he's, uh, at UNC Chapel Hill. He's expected to graduate this coming year, 2023. He is, a, uh, was a senior last year. He's rostered on the roster as a graduate student. Last year, he had 18 starts for UNC, four goals, two assists. So Milo's a really top player. And I think it's not entirely impossible that both Milo, um, and, uh, the previously mentioned Liam Johnson might wind up with Rapids 2 next year, or might wind up being added to the roster next year, if that is possible. They could also, hypothetically, go to USL, and if they played in USL because they have Rapids Academy to their name, I believe they'd have a, a certain number of years of eligibility at which the Colorado Rapids could recall them. I'll give you years, uh, 2000, birth year 2001 and birth year 2002, and then 
um, and, and 2003, because there's not much in years one and two. 2001 had a lot of players in it, but most of them didn't really pan out. Um, there's one big exception to that list, a young man by the name of Cole Bassett and another young man by the name of Ali LaRaz. They're both birth year 2001. There's only really on this list one guy who's still playing soccer uh, at a high level. Um, another An example here of guys who are no longer really kind of kicking around, Trevor Mowry, a goalkeeper who went to Cal Poly, no longer playing soccer. Armando Munoz Zarate, no longer playing soccer. Will Vint, who you'll probably remember, no longer playing soccer at a high level. Um, the only guy who's still kicking around, Jabril Dumia, is a goalkeeper who was with Old Dominion. He just transferred this year to SDSU. They're excited about him. So um, big, talented, physical goalkeeper, kind of a Tim Howard type. Um, birth year 2002, almost no updates. That whole year was a wash except for a young man by the name of Sebastian Anderson and another young man by the name of Abe Rodriguez. They have a player named uh, in the 2002s, Donovan Rue, R-O-U-X. He's a forward also for SDSU. Last year, he started 17 matches with one goal and one assist. SDSU has a really strong reputation um, for uh, players turning pro um, and plays in a pretty uh, strong uh, West Coast division. They often take on um, UCLA, um, uh, UCSB, and Cal State Fullerton and Cal State Northridge. So um, he'll be playing at a high level. We'll wait and see what Rue, a forward, might offer. Finally, the 2003s, um, they have Sam Bassett. That's Cole Bassett's younger brother, who's at DU. Expected graduation date of 2024. Um, four updates of players that might be noticeable. Notable, uh, Andrew Cortez, a goalkeeper, who was at Portland, he has transferred to UNC for this coming year, which might bode well for him. Portland, Mark, as in the University of Portland, not right. the Portland Timbers. Yes. God God forbid. We're only talking about university kids. Uh, James Deutsch, who played for Incarnate Word, um, but he is not rostered for them for this year. Um, I had high hopes for Deutsch back in the day. He was a pretty solid academy kid with the 17s. Colin Keller. Um, is highly rated uh, by TDS um, Top Drawer Soccer. That was the name of the organization I wanted to quote before. He's a defender at DU, so Matt, you might go out and see how he's doing. And finally, um, Vladimir Walent uh, is probably the most notable name on this list. He's a forward. He's been with the Academy since he was a wee tyke. This year, he is playing at Wake Forest. In 2020, he was loaned to the Switchbacks. So, Wallent has played, I think, for Rapids 2 this past year. I might be wrong about that, though. But um, Wake Forest plays at a really high level, of course, in the ACC. If Wallent gets any time, um, they also play against Pitt, so I may actually get to go out and see them. Although, that would have to be in the playoffs because Wake Forest doesn't take on Pitt in the regular season. That's our update for now. I'll give you birth years 04, 05, and 06 some other time, Matthew. For those interested, uh, Sam Bassett and the DU Pioneers men's soccer team open up their season this coming Thursday. That game will actually be on Altitude TV, and our good friends, uh, Mark, Connor McGahee, and Drew Moore will be on the call for that game. That will be Thursday, 
Um, 7 p.m. local time, they'll be taking on Gonzaga. Um, and then Thursday or Sunday, they'll continue their season. They will be playing at Grand Canyon University, 7.30 p.m. local kickoff time. You know who else they play this year in, in, uh, in non-league matchups? Uh, is it the University of Pittsburgh Panthers? That is you. That is true, and I think it's entirely possible that even if that game takes place on Yom Kippur itself, I will try to go because the the college soccer season is always inconveniently timed with the busy season for my work schedule. <laughs> okay, uh, Mark, we have one. Uh, we have a number of Ask HTHLs. We'll get to the first one here, given the timing of it. Uh, this comes from uh, Rapids Foreign Legion, who has another comic book bubble that we have going on. So, I have a photo of Jim Curtin, and uh, in the text bubble, it says, "How does the Philadelphia Union Academy define youth success?" That's easy, Brendan Aronson. How does the Colorado Rapids Academy define success, and where does Colorado rank in the status? of MLS Academies. Very, very good question there, one Jim Curtin, who we'll be talking about later this season. I think first and foremost, you have to define success in terms of the academy based on are you producing players for the first team? And I think really with where we are now for Major League Soccer, not only is it are you producing players with MLS potential, but then are you occasionally getting one of those gems where the player has realistic European uh, playing abroad at the club level potential, and then national team potential. I would say so far the Colorado Rapids have produced two players with potential for that. I think Sam Vines has an outside shot at making the World Cup squad in Qatar. If I had to bet 20 bucks right now whether or not he'd make it, I'd say no. And I don't think Cole's really in that conversation right now either. I think both of those players have that potential though. I think the next thing beyond that from an academy standpoint is whether or not the academy is having success uh, in terms of those teams winning stuff and then progressing those young men. I div- I definitely think I subscribe to, Rabbi, the notion that this is a part of the education for those young players. There was – I can't remember what interview this was, but this was some big wig at the – Liverpool Academy, who was there, who had overlapped with Jurgen Klopp, who had been there for a number of years, so predates Jurgen Klopp's time at Liverpool, who was describing one of their former academy kids who had no real Premier League potential whatsoever. He goes on, he leaves the academy at like 16, 17, works its way through the leagues, and then is like a stable player for like six or seven years with Tranmere Rovers, which is another team in and around Merseyside. Uh, Solid League One English Championship player, and then went into coaching after that. I think, for me, Mark, with where we are from an educational standpoint, and the fact that a lot of these academies are looking after or recruiting players who don't necessarily have the economic means to go to uh, college all on their own, likely there's a decent representation of various ethnic minorities. I think you bring in a player that is, you know, one standard deviation above the mean in terms of your standard high school player in the front range of Colorado. And if you get that kid a four-year scholarship to a D1 school and they graduate with a bachelor's degree, I would define the system as having success in that situation and the individual having success in that situation. So I do think there is still a component, even though obviously there's a competitive component. And if we talk about academies being profitable in terms of transfers and MLS being a selling league, particularly with their homegrowns and the U22 initiative. I do think there is still should be a component with everything that's gone on with the Audi in classrooms and how um, the academies have treated the educational, the in-classroom component. I do think there's a component of simply molding a uh, you know, a quality young man to enter society post-soccer career, and that can happen at 18 and that can happen at 22. The best answer to my question was the long 
boring list of players at really great colleges that I just listed, which is like, if the goal is to, there are a couple guys on here who went to community college and then turned pro for USL. Um, and those are sort of success stories, but I worry about them because they won't have long careers in USL. Um, and, and I'm really, you know, more excited about these guys who have carved out a college career for themselves at a decent university. Um, and I think that's a really huge accomplishment. And I just wanted to say that having sat down with Brian Crookham in the past, I know that Brian, Brian's a really good guy. And I said this on past podcasts like a couple years ago, but like I asked Brian once upon a time about the academy that Philadelphia Union were creating, which was a high school soccer program. And I kind of threw it out to him as, isn't this great? Shouldn't we do this? And he basically very politely said, no, we shouldn't. Because these IMG Philadelphia Union type academies, if that kid who those 30, 40 kids who go there, if, if a kid doesn't make it in, in with the Philadelphia Union, he doesn't make it in USL, his high school education was pretty substandard, right? Like, how much energy are you putting into your math, science, history, and English classes when the main focus of your high school is soccer? And the the like last thing that you really care about is reading Catcher in the Rye and, and trying to come up with creative interpretations of it. So that was a really, really fantastic point by Crookham that like we they, the Rapids care about these kids' education and it's not just a uh, grist for the mill. They want to produce a lot of kids who you know, will be successful humans, not necessarily successful soccer players. And yet Cole Bassett and Sam Vines are successful soccer players. Well said there, Rabbi. And so then to answer the second question of where does Colorado rank in terms of status of MLS academies, I would absolutely say that it's in the upper third. I think there's a very clear top here. Mark, feel free to, uh, you know, comment if you disagree, but I think it's Red Bulls, Philadelphia Union, and FC Dallas. I would say so far, and if we're talking like the last five years and over the history of MLS academies, FC Dallas is still the best. I think you could have any argument between the other two, between Philly and Red Bulls, in terms of who has been better as we just talked about Leeds United who have a former Red Bulls head coach a Red Bulls Academy product and a Philadelphia Union Academy product starring for their team I think Colorado's starting to get up there I want to say RSL in terms of just what they've done at the MLS level they haven't necessarily produced that big player to go on to Europe beyond there and then I think it's a mumble jumbled list where I'd have to go back through and try and remember who's a homegrown even though they aged out of that four or five years ago I think one thing that's really distinct for me and terms of producing success is not only are you constantly producing homegrowns is that there has to be a pedigree and there has to be a long list of it. There's a point, Mark, where I wrote kind of a clickbaity piece maybe three, four years ago. This might have been in the current and awful year of the LA Galaxy where I basically, I spent a thousand words and I basically argued that the LA Galaxy Academy was overrated and then so i basically said anybody feel free to flame me for this but read every single word carefully on that and i basically argued that you know jack mcbean was usl level i think player i think they had jaime Villarreal on that team as well and you talk so much about your academy but then you don't give them opportunities on an mls team because you're you you've got three dps and you've got four tam players and you've got a bunch of max budget players and you're maxing out on international slots there's no real room for these players to succeed but even when they've gone elsewhere it's not like they've done anything else special and so if we're doing that based on have you produced a guy for the first team you know nobody raves about dc united's academy nobody says that that academy is particularly good that academy 
happened to scout a guy 15 years ago named Bill Hamid, who's a rock-solid goalkeeper in MLS, a multi-time all-star. He had serious potential going to Europe. That kind of worked out and then kind of blew up, and then he came back to D.C. He was on the fringes of the national team for an extended period. You know, would you rather have one Bill Hamid every decade, or would you rather have a Jack McBean every three years? And I kind of argued that you'd rather have the other one, but the other one's kind of dependent on that guy falling into your lap, into your market as well. I don't think that the Rapids have let a lot of strong Colorado talent leave the academy early or or get away from them in ways that maybe St. Louis FC or Sporting Kansas City could have been much more aggressive about Josh Sargent with what he has done since then. I think on some level, and maybe I'd have to look in look at the map and see how far Hershey actually is out there as well, but with somebody at Philadelphia Union not you know trying to get Christian Pulisic into the system. So I think there's a component of you just happen on Bill Hamid when he's 15, you get him into the academy for a year, and then you know that he's good enough that he's with your team rather than somebody that you actually develop in the ways that Sam Vines and Cole Bassett progressed in with the system, in the way that Ali LaRoz is literally the OG academy kid of the Colorado Rapids. So I think the fact that the Rapids are semi-regularly having success at various age levels, constantly have a, you know, a dozen kids starting at top quality academic programs and decent soccer teams. And once every year or two, they sign a homegrown and pretty regularly, they've had players that are at least, you know, we've criticized Dylan Cerner for what he was and what he wasn't, Mark. But if nothing else, we can say that Dylan Cerner for an extended period of time was an MLS player, was in the 18. And so again, if we define success, producing player with potential to be a contributor at the first team, Dylan Cerner reaches that first bar for success. And I would say all of the homegrowns, I'm still not sure about Sebastian Anderson. I don't think, I still think the jury is still out on Jackson Travis because he signed and then he was hurt and everything, you know, but if he told me right now that something happened to Clint Irwin or he was insistent on going to Charlotte FC or something and Abrod had to be the backup for Will Yarbrough next year and was going to get 500 minutes, I wouldn't bat an eye on that. Chris Sharpie loves the kid. He's doing a lot for Rapids too, despite their failures and everything. Abrod is in a position to to be a successful homegrown and he's one of five or six guys that we've talked about and if we're going all the way back to I think Vines was the first of these signings Mark in 2016 so we're talking five six guys in a six-year period as well that is success for your academies in ways that DC United LA Galaxy many others can not say that they're successful we just don't have our Brendan Aronson yet and who knows maybe Kobasset balls out for Fortuna Sitar and then he's lifting Europa League, Europa League in three years time for Fire Nord. Yeah, I just want to add one last thing, which is I agree with everything you said. I thought you nailed it. I'm just looking at the list of all the homegrowns ever produced. And basically, in the American landscape, effectively, it's Red Bull and FC Dallas, like 1-2 or 2-1, depending on how you count it, for productivity and volume and quality. And then everybody else, and the, or, or the next tier, and really the next tier down, the Rapids are in it. Right. Like the next tier down is basically the Rapids, Montreal, Chicago, who produced um, Jordi Mihailovic. Gaga Slomina. Yeah. um, The LA Galaxy, I would put in that tier. I know that your clickbaity article, uh, but they did produce Jossie Zardes and Efrain Alvarez. Maybe they're a tier below the Rapids Um, and Sporting Kansas City, who pumped out Eric Palmer Brown, who I didn't realize he's with Trois this year in France. Daniel Shallowy and Gianluca Busio at Venezia. So there's a lot of good guys here. And when you think about teams that have been around in MLS, you could do a lot worse. Like, for instance, um, Houston Dynamo, who have effectively produced nobody 
um, DC United, who you basically said effectively produce nobody, um, and a few other teams like that. So um, we're doing pretty good, is is your point, Matt, and I agree. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good way. Talking about it from a tier standpoint, Mark, I would say at worst, the Colorado Rapids are the last team in that second tier of MLS Academies, and that would put them like eighth or ninth at worst. I think that there's a solid argument to be had that they are a top five academy in Major League Soccer right now. Last thing to say on the youth front, Mark, um, I watched last night, <laughs> I think it was it might have been just me, Brendan Plone, and uh, Joe Samuelson <laughs> watching the Schadenfreude yeah. that was uh, Colorado Rapids 2. Wait, you mean in person? You were at You were at the game? Uh, no, I was watching virtually from home. Uh, so they played North Texas. Both teams had a late goal in this one. Uh, Rapids 2 were not able to find a winner, and they ended up losing in the shootout in not a very good way. They had two sh- the first two shots were saved, and then the third one was over the bar, and Dallas won 3-0. So uh, they got Tim Milliard in that regard. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi, Rapids 2 are officially out of contention for the MLS Next Pro playoffs. Uh, Anthony Markanich and Max Alves both exited that game with an injury. Um, no signs yet, no re- official reports yet on the extent of those or what that means for their either of their potential eligibilities going forward for Rapids 2 or for the Rapids this coming Saturday at Philadelphia. I think in many ways, Mark, we could look back at this and say we could look back at this inaugural Rapido season and say, if nothing else, Abe Rodriguez got a lot of practice in trying to organize and bring confidence to a defense that had neither of those things. I think certainly there were a lot of hard lessons learned from the failures that they had and everything, but I don't think there's any question. You look at the table, you look at any one of the game films that you have and just a weak, leaky defense that made it far too easy, lacked ideas in terms of going forward. And similar to the Rapids' dependence on Diego Rubio, we're just so dependent on... um, Adama Traore or Darren Yappi to do something largely with limited service and whilst being outnumbered. Um, you know, again, Mark, I don't want to say that, you know, there, there's having success at the academy in terms of growing those players and there's actually trying to win those two ga- win games. Those two are not absolute in terms of you can't have one without the other um but there's absolutely there's decent overlap on the venn diagram of let's develop these kids and then let's actually win games and there's a lot of that circle there in developing players that doesn't require you to actually be competitive but if nothing else mark for our own sanity given what we're about to talk about with the first team i mean take all the film studies from this entire rapids two season put it on a elon musk rocket and fire it into the sun yeah yep Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's not much the, the the Rapids two season has been pretty pretty rough and so um it, it's it's uh although in my next update I will talk about a guy who played today uh yesterday for them, which is McClovio what was Max's last name? Sweat. Mac Max Sweat, uh, which is a pretty exciting has a pretty cool name at the very least. All right, Mike, we're th- Mark, we're 30 minutes into this episode and we haven't actually talked about the games from past week. It's because we don't want to. <laughs> okay. Um, trigger warning, Rapids fans. Uh, so we'll start with last Wednesday, Rabbi, 2-1 victory to the Vancouver Whitecaps at BC Place over the Colorado Rapids. Ryan Gold with a brace inside 40 minutes. First goal came in the 14th minute off a great pass from Julian Gressel to Gold at the near post. Rapids get pressed and end up turning 
turning the ball over in their own final third. Danny Wilson and Stephen Badisher involved on that, and then Wilson does not pick up Gauld on the actual run. 40th minute then, Max with a really bad back pass that splits Danny Wilson and Gustavo Viasia. I've watched all the angles that have been made available from the camera replays and everything, folks. If I had to guess which one he was actually passing to, I want to say it was Danny Wilson. It's a really good question for Max that I couldn't get a clear answer on in post-game media availability. Translation into Portuguese in real time, not conducive to that. Gold runs in on goal, beats William Yarbrough at the far bottom corner to make it 2-0. Steven Betasher denies his hat trick four minutes into the second half. Great clearance off the line, Beta redeeming himself to an extent in terms of his previous defensive failures. And then the lone goal for the Rapids on the night 76th minute. Jossie's artist with a tap in off of a rebound from Thomas Assal, the MLS equivalent of Scott Sterling on a shot from Jonathan Lewis. Bunch of chances in the final 15 minutes, Mark. You had Zardes hit the post. You had him get another chance. I think Gutierrez had a shot from distance. You had Jonathan Lewis with a header where he had a whole bunch of net that he just wasn't able to direct it on. That ends up going wide. Um, you know, you had a bunch of chances to where you'd say on paper the Rapids could have gotten an equalizer in this one. But fundamentally for me, this game starts in the first 40 minutes where it was just horrible individual mistakes that are just inexcusable and these are the mistakes that a team aspiring to make the playoffs does not make uh rabbi i'm gonna give you the choice rabbi uh good thing bad thing or big thing where do you want to start i'll start with the bad thing which is you can't concede goals by being pressed at the back early in the game if you are on the road and you're not a very good road team which the rapids are not they have one road win this year um, it's not going to work, right? So the getting pressed at the back, and and I think, by the way, that's a really good kind of uh, comparison to the Leeds game that we watched together separately, um, which is that um, Leeds really pressed aggressively. Of course, that first Leeds goal came uh, from Brennan Aronson pressing the goalkeeper after turning over the ball um, in that end. He just what's called counterpressed and immediately worked to get the ball back. And, you know, uh, Vancouver pressed the Rapids effectively. The thing that's shocking to me this year, usually the Rapids are pretty decent against the press this year. It's a little uncommon for them to look shaky under the press. Last year, they were really good, good under the press. They, they actually moved the ball really well. Um, they didn't, they, they used the press to suck players in to then put themselves into a position where they could step around them and make that pass, um, which is interesting because in past years, I remember under Anthony Hudson, they were terrible under pressure. Um, it was the most common thing. I would watch the Rapids get under pressure and I would say, they don't deal with this well and they felt they would fall apart. They could never deal with presses. The only games I remember them winning under the Anthony Hudson era were games in which the other team didn't press. And I was always like, did you guys watch tape on us? Don't you know that if you press us, we'll fall apart, right? Like, um, there was, like, one exa- exception to that, and it was a game I very well remember. It was the Dominic Baji hat trick against Houston. Houston Philadelphia kept... Union, Mark. 3-0. Oh, is that, is that what it was? Yeah, it was against Philly. It was at home. I it... think, yeah, you're right. Um, I'm thinking of the Houston game was another game. But, but anyways, both of those games were wins for the Rapids in which the opponent, in this case Philly, pressed a lot and my recollection is anyways and and the rap is broken anyways i'm dredging up ancient history because i don't really want to talk about this game but it's kind of inexcusable to lose to vancouver they're not a very good soccer team um and they haven't been good this year 
and I don't really understand. Now, the flip side of that is, I guess the big thing, if I were going to take a big thing away, is there's a lot of parity at the bottom of the table, um, and Vancouver's in there. I mean, Vancouver is about as good as we are. Portland is about as good as we are. San Jose is about as good as we are. Um, they're bad, uh, but they, they produce a lot of goals, and I don't really want to play them, because I think we may have a hard time with them. But, like, the whole bottom of the table in the Western Conference, from 7 through 13, is about as good as us. We just don't produce results. Matt, give me your reflections on this game. You must have bigger, smarter, more uh, uh, well-thought-out uh, broad strokes about what we did right or wrong in this one. Yeah, this is kind of a conjoining one that we'll get to with Houston. And, but, you know, it seems like Robin kind of went with two... B-ish lineups based on what he had. You know, Sam Nicholson starts one game. Michael Barrios starts one of those games. You know, he did a little bit of rotation at the center back position. I think he tried to patch things up in midfield given the um, absences of uh, Brian Acosta in the game against Vancouver. And fundamentally in that, he played some players that he needed to get something out of. And ultimately, he did not get that. I think if, you know, we were I was talking about this post-game um, as well. But, you know, you look at it, Max was not very good, independent of the back pass that he had that ultimately gave up the goal. And then Gustavo Viasia did not equip him partic- himself particularly well as well. And then, you know, Ralph Prizzo comes on and I thought he showed he had that dog in him in the final 30 minutes. You know, he nearly had, he had that uh, pass to, uh, he had that cross in the air to Zardes on the header that went off the post as well. And so, you know, I think if Zardes puts that, you know, one foot to the other side, then maybe we're talking about the Rapids rescuing a draw from this game and Ralph Prizzo being a factor in this one. But I don't think, you know, I, I just thought Lala was just much calmer in those games. I think he has a better rapport with Danny Wilson, obviously, and I think he's more aggressive. You know, I think Viasia, for me, the big complaint that I have this season, and maybe this is going back to his injury, and maybe he's secretly still trying to play through that, and maybe he's getting himself fit because he hasn't had a running game and everything, but he's too passive. He's too reactionary. Like, he waits for something to come to him before he does something with it. Say what you will about Lawless and all of his faults and the mistakes that he's capable of making. Lawless goes out and he attacks the ball. He does not wait for somebody to come to him and everything. He is an aggressor, and in that regard, he forces somebody to make a play in order to beat him, whereas Viasia just waits for somebody to come to him and then tries to react. You know, I would say Danny Wilson is proactive, Lal Sububakar is aggressive, Gustavo Viasia is passive, and you can't be passive when you have... What I want to say about Gustavo Viasia, Matt, is he makes me really excited for the return of Abubakar Keita. Okay, (laughs) yes. That's all I think about him. Yeah, so, you know, so in that regard, I just, that didn't suit them well against the press whatsoever. And so I think if you flip it to where it's Lawless starting and maybe you give him 20 minutes off so that he can go 90 against Houston. And then if you have Prizzo go 60 and then Max be a super sub, I think there's a decent possibility we're talking about a Rapids win. So Robin made a completely understandable squad rotation and a few calculated risks in the lineup there given that they were playing you know they're they were gonna it was the middle of three games in eight days it just ultimately didn't work out if I was to point out good things I already talked about how I thought Priso was really good I think as soon as this team ends up getting officially eliminated from the playoffs Priso should start every single game after that season after that if healthy and I thought Stephen Bader sure I thought did other than maybe him not being 
active enough to step to the balls and recognize Julian Gressel's run to try and pick off the pass from Danny Wilson, I thought Stephen Bader sure was very good. I think how he, his ability to sense danger as a fullback, I think has been invaluable to this team at times. And, you know, again, if one of the Rapids chances is able to go in and then we're looking back at Bader preventing Gall's hat trick with the clearance, you know, what, one to two yards off the line. And then maybe we're talking about Beta as being one of the heroes, one of the few defensive heroes of this particular game. So two individuals that were decent and the rest of everything that was mostly crap. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately Robin tried to do something because of the fixture congestion. And it was just it was the wrong players for the wrong situation on the wrong night. And Ryan Gold has his best half of the season so far for the Vancouver Whitecaps, which is unfortunately eerily thematic and repetitive for how the Rapids have been so far this season. Mark, anything else that we want to say about Vancouver, or shall we get to the second trigger warning of this podcast? Well, the thing I don't understand about Vancouver from a personal standpoint is that, like, I don't enjoy watching them play because I feel like they're a soulless soccer team. Like, they they have no they have no track record or history or whatever. I don't know. It just kind of annoys me. The other thing I'll say is this, which is, like, if you look back at the highlights, you'll see that Jonathan Lewis had a pretty decent game. I mean, he put some he put some balls in dangerous spots. Um, it's his, it's his shot that gets rebounded by Jossi Zardes for the goal in the 76th. Like, you know, he, he was fairly productive and it was interesting because, um, Diego Rubio didn't really get his motor running in this match. And I don't know what was up with that. Um, and then in the next match, he didn't play at all. So, um, you know, that's, that's an interesting kind of thing, especially since Matt for back this last week, I wrote about all the statistical breakdowns of, uh, Diego Rubio and and what the math tells us about how essential he is to the ball club. So it was interesting to see that in this game against Vancouver, he didn't really produce much, and that meant that um, effectively, like he uh, he the team couldn't couldn't be successful because he wasn't really you know, clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, he's our he's our super nuke nuke for sure, Mark. And I think unfortunately maybe Rubio, maybe it was the being in Canada, he was breathing out of the wrong eyelid or whatever it was from the with with the mound visit and everything, and so the pitchers. The Bull Durham reference. Yeah, I'm, on it. I'm all yes. over it. So it's I, I think he's dealing with something with his eyelid, and then I think there's a cursed glove, and then something about a silverware pattern. It's been it's been a while since I've seen seen that movie. He's got to go out to the pitcher's mound next game uh, in in uh, in in underwear in in ladies' underwear. That's the secret. Uh, I don't. I, I do not. Diego Rubio, if you're somehow listening to this, please don't. Please don't do that. Please wear your normal expected uniform against the Philadelphia Union. Ladies' um, underwear. Listeners, this past Saturday, Dick Sporting Goods Park, the Rapids got a 1-1 draw against the Houston Dynamo. Similarly, it was disappointing and bad, but kind of in the reverse, where it was a decent start, a good middle, and then obviously a very, very bad end. First half, a lot of really good individual opportunities. Also, Bubakar had a header on a set piece at the near post. You had Jonathan Lewis with, again, him being a very good live wire and cutting inside, uh, you know, going towards the touchline, taking on a defender 1v1, beating that defender, and then trying to create a shot. Didn't do a whole lot in terms of converting that. Gutierrez with a great chance towards the end of the half as well. Finally, the Rapids get on the board with a set piece, Lal Sabubakar once again floating to the back post. And another volley from him, Mark. You know, you're talking about, what, that's four or five goals for him on this season, and maybe only one of those is a header. The rest of them are all with his foot, like, straight out of the air. Those are all, you know... Make him a striker. I... It, <laughs> 
uh, Karaskia gets a really good opportunity in the 65th minute that he ends up putting just wide, and then obviously things start to go really downhill in the 80th minute. Brian Acosta getting his second yellow card on a tactical foul on Griffin Dorsey from behind with numbers back for the Rapids just outside the box. Second yellow for Acosta. They'll obviously miss him against Philadelphia. It's not like the Rapids midfield was any good against Vancouver without Acosta and without Jack Price or without either of those players. I think in Portland, I think they were without them. At any game, there's been no Brian Acosta and then no Jack Price, and they don't have a true six. It's generally ended poorly for the Rapids. And then 90th minute plus five after extended stoppage time, and I think a lot of hullabaloo about uh, Michael Barrios time-wasting and then a Houston player feigning injury from Michael Barrios giving him the business and then getting a yellow card out of that leads to an extra minute of stoppage time. Maybe 90th plus five, Ferreira scores, and it ends up being a 1-1 draw on the last last kick of the game. Rob, I'll, I'll give you the, the pick of the litter again. Good thing, bad thing, big thing. Where would you like to start? Uh, I mean, it, it, they didn't produce. And so, it, it, you know, if, you, if you're going to go a long way and you can't really generate a lot of goals, um, you leave yourself open to those kind of stingers at the end. And you're going to get bit sometimes like that. So I, I don't, I, I'm not really catastrophic about it. But again, we played two bad soccer teams and we didn't beat them. And that probably is all she wrote for, for this team. And and I think that's been a weird kind of, a weird kind of thing to, to watch for the year where we haven't been killing off these lesser teams um, to the degree that I think we, we ought to like, you know, we, we haven't feasted on the week at the bottom of the table to the degree that we should, if we were going to be, um, competitive and you know like I will say that um, you know the highlight of the match for me was um, I think it was Ache Ache who was breaking through the line in the first half and uh, on a on a really beautiful over the top ball and William Yarbrough just stones him with his beautiful like you know dive and, and swat and I think you know two former Liga MX guys going toe to toe in the box I thought that was a fun moment um, that's that's the moment that'll stand out for me that uh, the other thing that'll stand out for me was that uh, watching it with subtitles underneath, and I posted this on Twitter for those who want to see it, William Yarbrough, when you're phonetically translating it in the closed captioning, was translated by the closed captioning as, yeah, Barbara. So I'm gonna, I'm going to refer to William Yarbrough as, yeah, Barbara for a long, long time now. It's kind of the dark Brandon of memes, uh, inside jokes about the Colorado Rapids. Matt, what did you pick up from this game? And why did we lose other than, you know, choking at the 90th plus? I think not having Diego Rubio certainly hurt the team from a build-up play standpoint. You know, I, if I were to highlight, you know, I highlighted the individuals that I thought had good moments from an attacking standpoint. For the most part, it was kind of, it was an individual moment. You know, it was Jonathan Lewis getting the ball, not necessarily in a danger area, and then making something out of it. Very, very similar to what he did against the Vancouver Whitecaps. It was Lalo Zububakar selling out on set pieces. Now, to be fair, you know, it was Brian Acosta providing those services. We've seen Brian settle in and do a decent, not quite quite Jack Price 2021 level job of that that's allowed them to have some bite in the attack on set pieces as well. But, you know, it's not like Danny Wilson has had a really good opportunity on one of these set pieces in, you know, recent times. It's not like Jossi Zardes has had a really good opportunity off of one of these quarters corners. It's an individual moment of a great service to a great player that makes a great play. But again, it's so many of those things have to be right in order for them to get great chances. And normally the, the system naturally... Um, 
you know, was producing that. And again, I'm not sure entirely what's going wrong with that is all. But, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear for a number of reasons that aren't necessarily the fault of the coaching staff or the fault of Chris Sharpie. That there's a bunch of leaky holes in, leaky, in Loki's toboggan right now. And just the set pieces has not been enough so far this season. Not having Jack Price hurts, not having contributions from your your center back certainly hurt. Just real quick, Matt, sorry. When I interviewed Jack Price, he um, he was really complimentary of Brian Acosta's uh, work at the corner. And at the time, uh, Acosta had a couple of goals from the corner. And ever since that interview, things have gone totally dry with Acosta at the corner. And it just he hasn't been on target. He's been, you know, wide and long and short and just not great. Keep going. Sorry. So you would think that I'm highlighting a bunch of really good individuals and I'm doing that, but I'm also saying that just fundamentally the system was not good enough in terms of the team as a whole, breaking down the Houston Dynamo and creating chances. And I think that's in part, not entirely due to the fact that their main talisman, their main catalyst for the attack, Diego Rubio was out. And in the absence of that, they're having to rely on defensive breakdowns for Houston, advantageous opportunities, and just individuals trying something independent of the entire system. You know, Mark, if you're a team that, you know, is scoring a bunch of individual Golossos, that's implying that you're reliant upon that as opposed to the systematic approach that we've seen where there's a typical Leeds goal and it is from them pressing as a unit and then creating that chaos and everything. You look at how Manchester City is able to break down our opponents to the point where it's tap-ins and open opportunities despite having a congested box and a bunch of players trying to keep hold of a Kevin De Bruyne or of a... Um, of a Erling Holland, for example, there's just there, there's not a systematic, typical Colorado Rapids goal that right now isn't a Lalo Sububakar set piece or something that flows through Diego Rubio in order for chances to create. And I think ultimately that is a criticism of Michael Barrios as a starter, where the opponent's game plan negates what he's able to do, prevents him from getting in behind. And it's ultimately an indictment of Jossie's artist without him getting the service in order to be productive and him individually. And I think just where this midfield is from an attacking standpoint without Rubio, without Jack Price, unfortunately. And I guess just the last thing I, I really have to highlight, Brian Acosta, his two yellow cards for me, Mark, I think are completely unnecessary. You know, the first one in the first half, yes, he's tracking down a runner that's going out wide as well, but he's miles away from goal. There's plenty of space for the defenders to get back and everything. There's no point for him to kind of take that action to try and bring a player down, either win the ball or don't win the ball, and then just put yourself in a position to be between the player, the ball, and then the goal to slow him down enough for the rest of the team to recover. And a really ticky-tack foul on Dorsey to ultimately get the second yellow card. You have to have more composure and more sent, uh, situational awareness from that. Lucas Estevez is right there. He's right in the path of Griffin Dorsey. He can step to the player and everything. It's not like he's, you know, if it was a guy going on a breakaway and it just happened to not be, it happened to be a yellow card rather than a red card for a dog. So I could understand trying to prevent that opportunity. I could see the reasoning and the thought and the action of Lalo Sububakar dragging down that New York Red Bulls player thinking it is better for me to get a red card and a penalty and give my my team a chance to get out of that than give up a surefire goal. I don't like it. There were a bunch of things that Lawless and other players could have done to prevent that moment, but I could understand in that moment the gut, uh, you know, 
calculus of which is the worst case scenario there. Brian Acosta didn't need to take down Griffin Dorsey at that point. He wasn't going super fast. He could have caught up to him. And even then, Houston didn't have a bunch of guys in the box. Lucas Estevez is right there. He could have defended. It's an unnecessary foul. You put your team down a man. And I think that was ultimately potentially the issue in the game. As we saw the Colorado Rapids try to once again exist without a true number six at the anchor between the two center backs and doing so also down a man in general. So this loss in that regard is first and foremost for me on Brian Acosta, but just another situation of points drop, Mark, and we've talked about it too often. The, the Rapids last year were constantly, you know, were perennial. They beat the teams that they were supposed to. They beat the teams that on paper they were better than. A team comes in here into Deke Sporting Goods Park and, they're, and they have a bad game. The Rapids find a way to win that game. And so far, the Rapids have found ways to drop points in those same situations. And for the most part, when they played really good playoff teams, especially on the road, they've lost and it has not been competitive. And just this was a 50-50 game that should not have been a coin flip in the final minutes. And this was a game that ultimately the Rapids needed a win. It, I said it needed to be four points minimum. If it was six points last week, I would have said I'm on team. The Rapids probably make the playoffs. I, I don't see a viable path forward to the Rapids making the playoffs, Mark. I think we have, I think we have enough data to know that just clearly the defense isn't the, you know, lock tight, no water leaks that they were last season. Clearly the offense is leaking. Clearly there's just, there's, they make too many mistakes to let teams get back into games and they're, and they, they just they drop points to teams that they're not supposed to. I think we have enough evidence to clearly say that this team is not playing like a playoff team. And let me look up the standings right now, Mark, if we're looking at, you know, they've got eight games left. They've got, what, 32 points. If we're saying, I think normally it's been 45, Mark. I know there's some, uh, you know, there's been some talk based on trends and where we are in 538 analytics and everything that it's somewhere, it's closer to 50 than it is to... 45 to where maybe it's it's at least 46 it's probably more like 47 or 48 points at this point this team needs to be a two points a game team from this point on out so you've got eight games left you've got to play like a supporter shield contender you have to play from a points per game standpoint ever so slightly better than the team was last year I don't see how that happens if the defense is locked tight if Jack Price miraculously comes back and then he's 90 minutes fit and everything if Giossi's artist goes on a tear if nothing happens to Diego Rubio if Brian Acosta doesn't get yellow carded accumulation whatsoever if Jonathan Lewis converts those opportunities if Michael Barrios is a 90 minute player and he's effective through those 90 minutes if they do a bunch of stuff on set pieces if they get enough breaks from other teams if they catch Austin or Nashville on a bad night could I see that happening yes I just listed like 11 conditions that need to happen and I'm not convinced that more than four of those 11 are even plausible right so I'll just say like going back over like teams we should have beat right like the the the, so we've played Houston twice and we have two one one draws against Houston they're not a good team and you shouldn't be dropping points to them Minnesota San Jose Sporting Kansas City uh, these are teams we either drew or or lost to. Portland Timbers. Um, who else? Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps. Those are all teams that you kind of need to beat in order to to make it. Now we did beat Sporting Kansas City in the third match of the season, but you know we lost to them on the turnaround. Now Sporting this week looked really good. Um, they've added a couple players who have started to make them look like they're turning around, which is not good news for us considering that they're at the bottom of the table, but that just means they could pass us and put us in wooden spoon territory if they wanted to. The last thing I'll say is this, Matt. 
I'm looking at the end of the season. Um, I'm not quite as pessimistic as you are, although what I just said make, maybe implies that we can't beat bad teams. So looking at our final schedule and saying, oh, our schedule's not so bad, we might be able to do it, is patently absurd because we don't beat those teams. We tend to beat good teams like the Red Bulls on the road in a total fluky, bizarre nine-game Golazaru. Um, we're going to lose to the Philadelphia Union. That much must much is established. We just, just we should tune that game in and watch from behind our couches. Um, Nashville's got to be a tough match also. But then we've got three games that we could get nine points from. Um, if if um, Diego Rubio comes back healthy, if Ralph Prizo gets into the lineup and plays really well, um, if Jossie Zardes goes off his rocker again, if the back line is nice and clean, it's DC United who've been awful. And they've been a little bit better under Wayne Rooney in the last three or four games, but they're still not a good soccer team. Then we've got San Jose, who have one decent player in Jeremy Obobese and 10 guys running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And Vancouver Whitecaps also in a um, return game. Now, the only downside is um, the Vancouver and San Jose games are only four days apart. But, you know, like if we get nine points from United, Vancouver and San Jose, and then we have a six point match against L.A. Galaxy, another team that are on the bottom of the table with us and scrapping for a playoff game. You know, if we can get even either a draw or a win out of that game, then we're really in a good position. Of course, the final two games of the season are against Dallas and Austin. But, you know, whatever. Like, it's, uh, it's a lot of interesting things to, to end the season. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I'm not resigned to failure because I think the last thing I'll say is this, Matt. Again, I think I'm reiterating, but 6 through 13 in the Western Conference is just a hot mess. And nobody can be trusted or counted upon. And if you remember the last two or three weeks of every MLS season for the last couple of years... It's been full of surprises. There's just a lot of teams that are really, like, you know, surprising. That's San Jose's in 12th, you know. Um, I think a lot of people are, like, nonstop waiting for Seattle Sounders to finally make their rise. They've waited too long for to make that run. I think we're moving into a situation where you could reasonably assume that um, they might miss the playoffs, too. So, anyways, I don't know. I don't think all hope is lost, but, uh, you know, I don't think we're a very good soccer team, and assuming we can beat D.C. United is fallacious and insane, and I wouldn't take my life savings to the bank on it. All right, then. Last thing I'll say, Mark, since obviously this is an audio podcast, as you were recounting those <laughs> games where you thought that the Rapids dropped points in situations that they weren't doing, I was I started counting and holding up fingers that amounted to the number of points that the Rapids, I thought they should have gotten. So you mentioned a draw that should have been a win. I put up two fingers. You mentioned a loss that should have been a draw. I put up one finger. At the end of that, Mark, I held up eight fingers. So if we're talking about just beating bad teams or teams that were playing poorly and getting the result that you should have from that position. I'm counting eight points dropped. 32 plus eight gets you 40. Mark, where would that have the Rapids right now? Fifth in the Western Conference, one point behind Minnesota United. So, uh, Mark, let's move on to Ask HTHLs. We've got a bunch of really good ones, so we'll kind of take these you know, back and forth. Uh, we'll start with a question that we got from Judgmental Jim. 
Jim, uh, how are how are Pompey playing up at the moment? So, uh, uh, Jim asks, uh, does a noticeable increase in the Dick Sporting Goods Park DSGP attendance affect the investment made into the team come the offseason? Open parentheses. I probably already know the answer. Close parentheses. Uh, short answer, no. Jim, um, you know, obviously, if the Rapids, you know, get a bunch of fans in the final couple of home games, and obviously that will add to the coffers and everything. But if you just do like a simple calculus of, you know, let's say the really fancy seats, you know, at, you know, midfield and everything, and let's say they're a hundred bucks a pop, they're obviously not a hundred dollars a pop given where we are in the season, given the other football team that is obviously about to start playing on weekends as well. But let's say you get a thousand more of those marked to the point where the middle four letters in Colorado and the middle four letters in Rapids are all completely fold out and everything. A hundred times a thousand of those tickets and everything is a hundred grand of those. So the Rapids have what? Four home games left in eight, I believe. So let's say you get a thousand more of those at, again, the max price. I do not think, I I think both of those are overestimations in terms of, do the Rapids get a thousand more per game in attendance than they have gotten so far average this season? And I'm also assuming those people are buying the most expensive ticket as opposed to going to the secondary market for something in the South Stand for somewhere between probably $15 and $22 coming back to the club. Then you're talking about getting a half a million dollars. That's buying another Andre Shinyashiki. And so would that make a would that make a, a noticeable difference in terms of every single dollar is ultimately helping Fran Taylor and Porrick Smith? Yes. Is that noticeable in terms of moving the needle in terms of the overhaul of the team? I don't think it's as significant as the Rapids having to make a decision about spending a million dollars to retain Lucas Estevez full time or what do they do in terms of salary for a Jossie Zardis if they decide to renegotiate his contract and everything. So the absolute most you're talking, can we buy a viable player off of the bench in terms of money coming into the team and so in that regard i don't think it'll move the needle and if it ends up being 500 people at 20 bucks a pop in the south stand that's going to help the team but again not enough to the point where it's going to account for paying for a whole nother high quality payer you're not getting that funding to go re-get kellen acosta or to go get another keegan rosenberry or sam nicholson with that Marco, throw the next question to you. Comes from Logan F. Is gunning for the last playoff spot worth more than giving the kids first team minutes for the rest of the season? I would rather develop for 2023 and a home playoff spot than grind tooth and nail for seventh and an early exit in 2022. Um, Mark, your thoughts on that or given the injuries and everything is there somehow, is there a correlation maybe between the two in that if the Rapids are going to get into the playoffs, it's going to have to be in part because of con- uh, contributions from Ralph Prizzo? I guess ultimately, Mark, at what point would you start doing that? And at what point do we think the Rapids will actually start doing that and looking ahead to 2023 rather than trying to rescue this Frankenstein dumpster fire of a season? Frankenstein dumpster fire. Wow, that is a f- awesome turn of phrase, Matt. Well done. Um, uh, Listen. Dear listeners, I love you. Um, you know I am hashtag player kids more than almost anybody. The challenge with this team is what kids? Like we don't really have a deep academy roster to play. Um, and the ones who might play, who've been playing for R two, have been pretty bad. I mean, like if you can't beat Sporting Kansas City's two team then why would you bring those guys up and see if they can beat the one team? You know what I mean? Like, like those guys are getting run and they're not doing great things. 
So who are the guys that we might want to bring up? So you mentioned Ralph Prizo. I think, honestly, Ralph Prizo is going to get some run no matter what. Um, after that, um, it's pretty thin in the sense that, like, um, Yaya Torre is injured. Uh, and I don't know what the status for him is, but I think he's probably shut down for the year, right? Um, Ali Laraz is not being brought back at with any pace. Philip Mayaka is has has kind of like played his way into the bench for R2. He's been starting again, but he hasn't been great. Uh, Matt, you can tell me whether you thought he was decent in this last match, but like, and I wouldn't mind starting him for the senior team in the last two games just to give him some uh, a big a big jolt. Anthony Markanic is back and injured again. Michael Edwards is coming off of injury. Um, Darren Yappi, you might want to give a start to. Uh, and Sebastian Anderson, I think, is probably the guy you'd most want to bring up. He hasn't been spectacular for the twos. Um, but that's it. That's that's our whole youth roster. That's not a whole lot of guys. Um, you know, we basically said, you know, when we said play your hashtag play your kids, it basically started and ended with Ralph Prizo and Sebastian Anderson. There's a few other guys. uh who were down with the twos, who who might have a shot, um, but not a lot, and it, it's just not it's just not a lot of of players. So um, I'm in favor of it, but there's just not a lot of, of of talent or depth or healthy players that we can really call up at this point. I I don't think uh, Mayaka shouldn't be getting minutes at the expense of Ralph Prizo, Mark. I think that is a detriment to Ralph Prizo's development, and I think ultimately that would set up the team to be unsuccessful. If you want to give Mayaka a run out on the final game of the season after the team's already eliminated from the playoffs and it doesn't matter anymore, just to, you know, let Brian Acosta get ready for the offseason, I can understand an argument being made there. But so, you know, I agree with you on Ralph Prizzo. Um, I agree with you on at what point do you give Darren Yappi an opportunity or, you know, at the very least, like have him come off the bench and try and change the game if Zardis isn't doing it for 65, 70 minutes in one particular game. I guess the other one that you would say, Mark, I guess the this is a little I could see you given Sebastian Anderson an opportunity given the criticisms and the mistakes that we've seen from Luke Sestivez who's been a hothead and Keegan Rosenberry who's certainly regressed relative to what he's meant historically with the Rapids if there's one guy defensively who's not at fault for this team being bad and shipping a bunch of goals right now it's William Yarbrough and maybe the one other young guy that you would say like let's give him minutes to try and do something would be Abe Rodriguez but at the same time like you're looking at him like you know, how does Will take that in, you know, in a closed door meeting with Chris Sharpie and with... I think he'd be okay with it. I think the guy who'd be pissed at that point is Clint. I mean, Clint Irwin would be so pissed off because he hasn't, he hasn't played a single game for the starting team. It's like, that's what you probably want to do, which is like give Clint some run. But like, you know, poor guy. On the flip side, like, you know, there's worse things in life than being paid, you know, a six-figure salary more or less to go out to dinner with the team every night and then, you know, wear the gloves and stretch a little. You know, it's like, I know he trains. I'm not I'm not criticizing his work ethic or anything like that, but there is no cushier job in America than backup goalkeeper in a <laughs> six-figure salary and a travel budget, and you don't even have to work on your weekends. Yeah, I guess the, the last thing that I would say, Logan, is I think as much as you might want to think about soccer from an infinite standpoint, like that, like, 
saying openly saying that or openly doing that would basically be would be a death sentence and you'd get raked over the coals like if robin frazier were to come out and say yeah i know we're only five points out from a playoff spot and everything but the season's over we don't care anymore we're gonna play the kids like you can't give up until mathematically you've actually been eliminated um i can't shut it down when it's time to play dallas and and Austin, which is where I think we'll probably, if we're going to be out of it, we'll be out of it there because the three games, the four games that I mentioned, um, after we play Philly and I forget who else we have to play after Philly, but, but those four games, it's make or break there. And if we don't win all of them, or if we take like two points in the first two matches, then it's pretty much like, okay, we're not going to make it. And then those last two games, it's hashtag play your kids, even though there's not many kids to play. I think it's Bill Burr Logan has a has a really good spiel where he he goes off for like five minutes about like just once I want athletes to be like openly honest about this you know like they lose game one of the of the of a best of seven series and everything and then the reporter asks them about game two and everything like you know is game two a must win game no technically it's not we want to win it we're gonna try and do our best to win it but that's not the question game two is not a must win game we could lose today. We could lose tomorrow as well, and we still wouldn't be eliminated as well. So uh, I don't think you're actually going to see like a full-on, like, play your kids, the result doesn't matter, and the lineup is going to reflect that game being more relevant for 2023 than 2022 until the team's mathematically eliminated. And that will certainly not start on Saturday against Philadelphia. Last question, Ask HTHL that we have, Mark, comes from our good friend Jason Maxwell, who asks, how many players on the current roster do you want starting in the 2023 opener? I think it's a really good question here, Mark, and kind of a dangerous one that could age well or poorly, depending on the, how these next couple of months go. I will say, Jason... I think the big question that we have at center back in terms of long term is Abubakar Keita, who was obviously hurt. And then could he arise and be healthy off of his season ending injury next year? And then between Danny Wilson, Lalas Abubakar, Gustavo Viasia, you need one guy to not be a weak link in that. Do I think that that exists on this roster? Yes. <clears throat> Do I think Keegan Rosenberry can be better next year than what he is this year to the point where the Rapids are not going out and getting a new right back? Yes. I think even if you don't get Lucas Estevez, I think financially it would make sense to give Mark Hanich a chance and maybe extend Stephen Beta for, for another year. As crazy as that sounds, given everything that I've said about the defense and that being a problem. I think at most you're talking about maybe buying one other player from that and then just trying to be patient and then hoping some other players work out in that. I think midfield gets super interesting because do you think Ralph Prizzo or Ali LaRaz are good enough to elevate themselves as starters? Um, do you think that Brian, the experiment with Brian Acosta should be given another year or he should have a slightly different role. I think obviously Jack Price back and healthy is a starter on this team. I would advocate for bringing in two new starting midfielders. Um, I don't know that Giassi's artist at this point has done enough for me to want to extend him. If he wants to come back at 300 K and not going to be a starter and maybe it's two years with an option or one year with two options, maybe there is no way he's going to drop from 1.5 million to 300,000, but I like the optimism, Matthew. Yeah. So I think you're going, I think you're, uh, you're shopping for a new DP striker, DP number 10. Uh, I think obviously Diego Rube, uh, what that position is uh, probably then defines where Diego 
Rubio is playing. And I think we've seen enough from Jonathan Lewis to know that whatever potential we thought he had during his time with New York Red Bulls, his sparse moments he's had with the national team or with the Rapids bringing in him, that this is his level. And can he be a contributor? Yes. Do I trust him enough to be a starter? Not necessarily. I still think Sam Nicholson is most effective off the bench in some games. So start some games, don't play 90 minutes, come off the bench at the 60th minute. And Marco Barrios is 30. So I think, I think a new winger. So I'd say a new winger, a new striker, number 10, depending on um, what the Rapids are able to get over the line from a DP standpoint, and then where they're most comfortable with Diego Rubio. I would say at least another midfielder, let's say two to be over optimistic and say one defender. So Mark, I'll, I'll say six at the absolute least. I could see the Rapids thinking that they have an internal answer at the center back position. They mostly run it back defensively, maybe bring in one player, but not necessarily a starter. And they bring in two midfielders and maybe attackers. So I would say at the least six. So I'd say six of the 11 starters is what I would want if the team was doing a whole overhaul. I'm not sure that I see... Six you keep or six six you swap? Six you keep, but I can't see the team making more than three or four new signings to be starters for the 2023 season opener. I say that especially given that the Rapids also wait late, so maybe I'm making that for like the whole of the season, and maybe only two or three of those moves are done by the time we get to the season opener, because the Rapids get a bunch of links and then don't do anything, and they just end up getting somebody from within the league at bargain basement price after the other team gets absolutely desperate and just wants to offload a guy like Giassi's artists um without going through the entire lineup like you did matt as like when you started i basically said to myself in my head i was like i think they keep six of the starters that's literally what i said and i didn't then i didn't go through all the names but as you were talking i kind of was like yeah maybe maybe and then at the end of that i was just basically like, yeah we're gonna keep like six guys we swapping out five guys is a lot five starters um but it, it's interesting it's interesting exercise because you really do have to assume, like, all right, Pork's going to get two guys from in-league for a song. He's going to try and bring up a young guy or two, maybe get a first-round draft pick that he turns into magic, maybe um, something like that, and then he's going to go abroad and pick up two guys, and maybe we spend a little bit of money on a big DP this year. Uh, that would be quite the departure from the tradition of this team, but it would be nice. So that's where I come up with six. Um, yeah, let's hope. Listeners, this coming Saturday at Subaru Park in Chester, Pennsylvania, 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time, the Colorado Rapids will be taking on the Philadelphia Union, their first game since the pandemic, I believe, against Philly, and obviously their only game of the season against them. Uh, Mark, this was rough looking up the difference between the two teams in points this season. Rapids find themselves 11th in the Western Conference. They have 32 points off of 26 games played, a record of 8 wins, 8 draws, and 10 losses, and a goal difference of minus 3 away from DSG this season. Just the one win, 8 draws, 3 losses. Philly, first in the Eastern Conference, 51 points off of 27 games played. Their record is 14-9-4. They have a goal difference of plus 31. And even if you take out DC United games, Mark, that's still like plus 20. Um, And at uh, Subaru Park this season, they are 8-0-5. Mark, I'm not... 
I like talking about the Philadelphia Union. They are a fun team. They have a number of players that you and I could wax poetically and compliment. I'm not sure how much it actually matters for us to talk about this, Mark, given we're over an hour into this podcast, given so much of what's going to define this game and the result for the Rapids is just based on them handling their own Frankenstein dumpster fire in-house. But I think it's worth saying Jim Curtin is one of the best American coaches right now in Major League Soccer. He's been absolutely fantastic. They press extremely well. They're able to possess the ball, possess the ball extremely well. Julian Carranza is scoring goals for fun against bad teams, usually DC United, usually teams that are disorganized defensively, not unlike the Colorado Rapids. Gazdog has been fantastic for them from an attacking midfielder standpoint. They have Kai Wagner, who's probably the best outside back in Major League Soccer. They have Andre Blank. They're stacked defensively. Um, uh, who is uh, Jose? I can't remember his last name. They're number six, who's like the most Philly guy ever and maybe one of my favorite number sixes in Major League Soccer. Jose Jose Martinez, excuse me, that's his name. They have Paxton Aronson, the younger brother of Brendan Aronson, Alejandro Bedoya, um, you know, their, um, you know, their uh, American just, you know, box to box number eight and everything. I'd say they're Pablo Mastroeni at this point, given how long that he's been with the team. And Jack McGlynn has been kind of their young, super good um uh, attacking young player as well. They have good veterans. They have good att- p- attacking pieces as well. They're maybe not stacked in terms of like a one distinct star player. Mark, the, the Philadelphia Union are what historically Sporting Kansas City has been so far uh, in the MLS 3.0 era, MLS 4.0 era. The Philadelphia Union are what I wish the Colorado Rapids were right now on so many levels. Yeah, and a couple of years ago, I think if you if if you're newish to Colorado Rapids or newish to this podcast, there was a time a few years ago when when folks talked about Philadelphia Union as a team adrift. You know, in the pre Jim Curtin era, and even in Jim Curtin's first season, we talked about this team as like disorganized, um, hopeless, like doesn't have a tactical identity. Um, there was a lot of criticism against this team, uh, and they've really pulled it together. Jim Curtin really has an identity for this team. They're a lot of fun. Um, the only name that, I mean, you ran down the list really beautifully. The only name that I just wanted to highlight one more time is Jacob Glessness, who just hits bangers. If you just look up his highlight reel of goals, they're all insane 40-yard Galazzo like rifle shots from the middle of nowhere. He had one against Atlanta where I was like, Oh my God! I think it's from the beginning of the season, like April. Um, lunacy. Uh, yeah, this is a super fun team to watch. They're exceptional, um, you know. And Philly's never been a place that we play particularly well at. Uh, the last game I remember at Philly uh, was one in which Caleb Calvert went uh, with an injury out of bounds, then came back in at a place other than where the fourth official was and immediately was sent off because of it, which was a pretty bad moment in Colorado Rapids history. Just go Google Caleb Calvert. That was basically the end of his career, too. At that point, the team really never uh, used him ever again because he did the most boneheaded anti-soccer thing in the world, and it was not permitted anymore. Um, You know, if, if we get a draw out of this game or if God be praised we get a win it would be shocking uh but this is the kind of game where jim Curtin needs to get his guys up and say this is a team we should take apart this is a team we should really especially if we don't have diego rubio in this one especially if we continue to get 
minimal production out of Michael Barrios, who, you know, the team likes to click that long diagonal to him, um, but he hasn't been able to produce on his end of the ball. So, you know, skying a long diagonal to to um, to Michael Barrios only for him to run it to the end line and cough it up or to fire it into a block shot is, is not doing it for us. And the other options that we have are limited. We've been bypassing the midfield for weeks now, um, tactically, and basically saying we're not going to play through teams. We're going to play around teams. We're going to nibble at the edges and try to nick one on a, on a set piece. It's not good enough. It's not going to be good enough against Philly. Tactically, they're going to sit sit in. They're going to look at the few things that we've used traditionally over and over again to try and eke out a win. They're going to take those angles away from us, and then they're going to ram it in our faces with intricate ticky-tack uh, plays followed by beautiful through balls and, and really uh, fantastic bending early um, crosses, and we're going to be in deep trouble. That's my take on this game. We lose this one 3-0 or 3-1 if we're lucky. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you, Mark. I I think, you know, Jim Curtin only has to show, you know, the first 40 minutes of game film against the Vancouver Whitecaps to see how to take apart this team. And that's exactly what Philly is capable of doing. Um, anything less than their best, uh, than the Rapids' best road performance this season in terms of possession with the ball, playing out of the back and being clean and everything isn't going to cut it. I think they make multiple mistakes. I think that opens them up. And I think ultimately Philly smells blood in the water. I don't think it'll be bad, as bad as some of the games that they've had this season that have been absolute blowouts against DC United, against Inter Miami as well. But if Philly comes out and plays up to their level and everything, I'm just, I'm not sure how the Rapids match that. I don't see how they prevent mistakes to the point where they're able to keep a clean sheet. And I'm not sure what they do attacking wise, especially if Diego Rubio is not able to start in this game to mount anything from an attacking standpoint that's going to keep up with that. I just, this is... You know the, the the Rapids are setting themselves up, Mark, and they're just gonna they're just gonna get run over by the Philadelphia cheesesteak meat truck um, in this game, and it's gonna be pretty bad. Another good turn of phrase, Matt. You're on it tonight. You must have taken your pills. You're you're really doing a good job. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure what to name the podcast now, Mark, because I had yeah Barbara wrote written down, and now I have Frankenstein dump truck, and now I have what did I say? Phil- Frankenstein dump truck was really good. I was leaning towards. Um, towards um uh uh women's underwear or ladies underwear as my as my podcast name but uh but personally i can't i can't go against my own uh brilliant turn of yeah barbara that's my favorite but you get to pick yeah barbara frankenstein would work for me too okay um rabbi let's get out of here Listeners, our sponsors are Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves, makers of custom-made kits and neckwear. You can check their back catalog. You can go to their website. You can order some fresh duds for whatever event you have coming up. Hey, it's youth soccer season. Maybe now this is the year to go in, or at least for the playoffs, if your team is really going to do great this season, and spend a little bit of extra coin to to kit them out in the, the freshest duds. My son is... Uh, Hopefully getting some run this season for the 5th, 6th grade community day school Lions. Go Lions! Um, I don't really have extra coin lying around for bespoke uniforms, but if I did, I would absolutely go to Icarus FC. Check them out. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials, on the emails, if you have a question, a comment, or an Ask HTHL, and also how to read our written content, including my latest piece, which is called As Goes Diego Rubio. Uh, at soccer underscore rabbi.
at LWS Matt Pollard, <laughs> at Rabbits96 Podcast, Pittsburgh Soccer Now, last word on soccer, holdingthehighline.substack.com. Tweet using the hashtag AskHTHL, like the four people who gave us questions tonight. Absolutely fantastic. Email us at rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Go to our Substack to give us money. Go to our Patreon to give us money. Support the Denver Post at denverpost.com backslash HTHL. Really good digital sports content, I'm sure, on whatever thing they just posted about a certain Broncos player sneezing at training camp. Uh, listeners, we'll see you next week. Hopefully it doesn't suck.